This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to this special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by the former DUP First Minister, Baroness Arlene Foster. Now, um, Baroness Foster, obviously this week has been dominated by the news that we should expect to see power sharing restored at Stormont shortly. Um, talk us through your reaction to this news after nearly two years uh, without a government functioning Northern Ireland executive uh, in the region. Yeah, for sure. I mean... It's like everything, you wouldn't start from here. And uh, I think the the difficulty has been the implementation of the protocol and followed by the Windsor framework has caused great unease, not just within unionism in Northern Ireland, but within the business community as well, given that those documents have meant that there are checks between Great Britain and Northern Ireland, even within the internal market of the United Kingdom. And so Sir Geoffrey Donaldson, took his party out of the executive two years today, actually. Uh, This is the anniversary of that. And has been trying to negotiate with the government since then on looking for solutions. And I think what has come forward, safeguarding the union document, which might in the command paper this Wednesday, obviously isn't everything that unionism would have wanted, but this is a political negotiation. And I think actually uh, Sir Geoffrey has done very well he has dealt with the UK internal market problem. And also there's some very good stuff in there about strengthening the union. So not just safeguarding the union, but actually strengthening the union as well. And he's put in some safeguards insofar as this just isn't the end. Uh, We're going to watch how this is implemented. So there's an implementation panel. There's a new East-West Council, something which I was very keen on a number of years ago because of needing to have those relationships strengthened. And there's a new body called Intertrade UK, which is looking at trade right across the United Kingdom. So I think all of those are are very much to be welcomed. Um, And it's now a question of processing and making sure that we focus on the benefits of the union. And I I was in um, that parliament this week uh, listening to what MPs were saying, and we thought we might get a vote on those two statutory instruments that sort of got all this through. I just wonder, what's your sense of how united the DUP are over this? Because... I mean, Sammy Wilson stood up and was pretty critical of the government. I think that was on the uh, Wednesday in the House. But then, of course, when it came to the Thursday, there wasn't that vote in the end. Just tell us through um, how United the Party are and then also the wider unionist community in Northern Ireland. So I think there are those within the party who have genuine concerns about the border. Has it disappeared? What will it mean for businesses going forward? And I think uh, those with genuine concerns, people who want the evolution to work, but who are concerned about the implementation of this document, I think will stay with the direction of travel, uh, will themselves monitor what's going on, uh, and will raise their voices if they think that things aren't going uh, the way that they should go. For those outside of the DUP, if you like the TUV led by Jim Allister and uh, some loyalist loggers and what have you, there's a lot of those people who don't want devolution at any price. And a lot of them have turned their face against evolution. And that's a perfectly legitimate position to be in. But they should be honest with people and say that and not, and not put up false barriers to devolution. Um, because devolution in Northern Ireland is complicated. It's mandatory coalition. It's power sharing. 
and you have to make a political judgment call as to whether we've made enough progress to go back into the Assembly and the Executive because on the other side is the fact that our health waiting lists are so long, there's education reform needed, uh, we have to deal with public sector pay problems. So there's a whole in-tray waiting for those ministers when they're put back into office. And it's a balancing act and it's a political call. And I know there's been some particular cases looking at the legal implications of all of this. And I understand all of this, but this is a political call. And Sir Geoffrey Donson had to take that political call and he's done that. I suppose that was my next question, really, is that, you know, at the same time that Sinn Féin has been able to reinvent themselves as being quite a sort of uh, a voter friendly focused party, leaving behind some of the the history there and talking about things around public sector services. Do you think perhaps there's a danger the last few years? uh, The debate in Northern Ireland has often been about technical questions around the protocol important questions of course but ones where there might not be the same resonance at the same time there's obviously been huge pressures in northern ireland's health service and there's a danger perhaps that maybe when it comes to it um, the executive's going to suffer as a result of that and it could impact the ballot box too you know i think um to get a sense of that you need to go back to 2017 when Sinn Féin came out of the executive and, and they came out for three years so that meant that we didn't have government for three years up until 2020. We then came back into government. I was first minister at the time. And we came back in in January 2020. And then what arrived in February, March, but COVID. And we had to deal with all of that horrendous issue. And then when that was so just going out of the, the picture, if you like, then we had all of the issues around the protocol. So it's been a very bumpy time in Northern Ireland politics. My hope for the new executive and assembler is that they do have a period now of calm where they can actually deal with the bread and butter issues which people really want to see them focusing on, including health reform and education reform. One of the reasons why we have these really long waiting lists is because we didn't implement the Bengoa reforms from 2016, which would have seen a transformation of our health service at the time. And because we didn't have government for three years from 2017 to 2020, we weren't able to do that. So there's a lot to do, James, in all of this. And, um, you know, Sinn Féin aren't that happy with the deal that Sir Geoffrey Donaldson has brought forward because they're back to talking about United Ireland being around the corner again. And when you hear that sort of talk, uh, you know that they're trying to appeal to their activists and to tell them that it's just around the corner and stay with us and we have a strategy and we know what we're doing. But when they are pulling that lever of a United Ireland around the corner, you know that not all is well within Sinn Féin, but they managed to keep it all under wraps. Yes. I mean, how much do you think the new Northern Ireland executive is going to be able to achieve in these issues? Obviously, you need to have the agreement of the first minister and the deputy first minister in, in, in making progress on these issues. Uh, how much, given the kind of historic tensions and some of that rhetoric coming out of the, the Sinn Féin camp as well, how much progress is going to be made on these really important issues facing Northern Ireland? Well, they, they need to look, and it was ever thus, uh, they need to look for the common ground. They, and uh, I hope that that is what they do. Uh, over the coming uh, weeks and months. They look where they can find agreement and where they can find agreement then move ahead because that's what the people of Northern Ireland expect. That's what the voters expect them to do. They don't expect them to be talking about a united Ireland. They do expect them to deal with the health waiting lists and to deal with all of the myriad of other challenges that we have here in Northern Ireland as we have uh, across the Western world at this time. Inflation obviously doesn't bother them as much because they have to deal 
with that at Westminster, but the cost of living, how we can deal with those sorts of pressures on ordinary people. Childcare has uh, now developed into a really major issue for working families. And so that's going to be a focus, I've no doubt, as well. So, yeah, it's about normal politics. uh, And I think that's what people want to see. And how much should unions pay attention to that kind of talk that, you know, a United Ireland is just around the corner? I saw you share on Twitter uh, some of the comments made by Gerry Adams around the time of the new millennium, 2000. He said, United Ireland is within 16 years. And of course, that was uh, eight years ago now, that deadline. I mean, surely the temp- surely some of the rhetoric that comes out is is going to be like a sort of red rag to a bull. I mean, how do the, the DUP say, you know, ignore this, put all this aside, especially when you've got quite a loud and vocal a number of loyalist yeah. bloggers, etc. the TUV. Resisting that temptation is going to be quite hard, isn't it? Look, it's very difficult. And um, as well as Sinn Féin trying to complete their activists, they want to poke unionism in the eye and get what they hope will be a reaction that leads to a lack of confidence moving forward uh, with Northern Ireland and the UK. I said earlier this week, uh, people should have confidence. Um, They should look at what's in this document in terms of securing, not only securing and safeguarding, but actually going further than that, strengthening the union. I think it's really important that we look at all those mechanisms that allow us to do that and not get distracted by talk of a united Ireland because I'm 53. I know it's hard to believe, James, but uh, <laughs> I'm 53. I've been listening to this talk all of my life about a united Ireland being around the corner. It's not. People aren't focused on that in Northern Ireland. What they are focused on is having a government that delivers for them in all of the areas that concern them. And obviously, we've got the general election coming up. It's a big discussion here in Westminster. Uh, how do you think that's going to pan out in Northern Ireland? Uh, ahead, of course, we've got the uh, Irish in the Republic of Ireland uh, elections next year as well. Yes, there's a lot of elections right across the world, and no more so than in the UK. And I think you will see some moving about. Uh, we just heard this week that Robin Swan, uh, the health minister, um, is moving to South Antrim to challenge the sitting DUP MP there, Paul Gervin. Michelle Gildernew is going to try and move to a European seat when the European elections happen in the Republic of Ireland. So that may well leave a vacancy in the seat where I live in Fermanagh and South Tyrone. So there could be some movement during the general election. But look, I think what's important for all of the parties is that they settle down and Stormont now start uh, governing Northern Ireland in the way that people want them to see. And then if they do that, the parties that are seen to be contributing to that, I think will benefit in the general election whenever it comes. Uh, There was an interesting story this week, which was that I think in the Belfast newsletter that uh, Michelle O'Neill is going to abandon the traditional Sinn Féin policy of using their own bodyguards and actually starting to use the the, the police service in Northern Ireland, PSNI uh, ones instead. Uh, I I just wonder how much do you think that the the prospect of becoming first minister, first Sinn Féin minister in Northern Ireland is going to mean that that party abandons its past, etc. Is this a, a big step or is this some of more cosmetic changes uh, to try and reassure voters that they can be trusted with executive power? I think they'll be do, trying to do both, James, if I'm honest. Uh, they will be trying to look like a professional party, but at the same time, they will not condemn what happened in the past. They will not call it out for what it was, and that was a, a murderous campaign against their neighbours. I think Unless and until they do that, it's going to be very difficult to have a reconciliation here because uh, what they did was heinous and crimes that they committed across Northern Ireland through Sinn Féin have never been condemned by them, even though they are the largest party now in Northern Ireland. And where else in the world would you have that sort of thing? 
But it's so it's important that they recognize that whilst they are in the first minister's office, of course, alongside whoever the DUP decide to put into deputy first minister, that they haven't rejected that campaign of violence, uh, which brought pain and suffering to so many across Northern Ireland. So we await to see what they have to say around all of that. And of course, you'll know everyone in DUP politics. Tell us who the likely runners and riders are to be that uh, DUP First Minister. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of commentary about the fact that uh, it may well be Emma Little Pengelly as the Deputy First Minister. I have to say I would warmly welcome that. Uh, you would expect me to say that. Emma's a dear friend of mine. I think she's a very, very capable woman. Um, she has been in the the, the First Minister's office, obviously, as my special advisor. She was a junior minister in that office at some time. She knows it inside out. Uh, and I think she would be a tremendous choice if Sir Geoffrey decides to put Emma into that office. And obviously, again, we would have two females leading Northern Ireland. And I think that is a very strong message as well. Quite agree with you, Eileen. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. And uh, thank you at home for listening.